Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 28. As always, the crew is here. Uh, we got a lot on our plate. Magic Origins was legal, and we had a large Star City Games, uh, a, a really large Star City Games. I think you mentioned uh, like over 700 people, Seth. Um, the crew is here. What's up, Richard? Hello, everyone. Seth, or as you know him, Seth and Olive. What's up, Seth? Hey, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Seth is uh defeated after after this weekend. A lot of things went wrong for Seth. <laughs> a few. <laughs> <laughs> and uh Chaz as always here with you. Um so the agenda for today is we're going to cover the Star City Games uh open uh standard was really just a blast honestly. It's kind of sad that like Standard is going to change here soon, but I, I think uh, there's some good things going to be on the way. But Standard was just really interesting to watch. We have some l- interesting legacy stuff that I wanted to bring up uh, while we had Richard here. And um, we might just touch on Modern. Uh, we have price movement and then some fish mail. So let's just dive right into the Star City games. Richard, what, what were your thoughts? Did you, did you watch uh, Standard? Yeah, I watched uh, a bit of the Rogue decks on day one, and then I watched the top eight. Um, top eight was had very little Magic Origins impact, surprisingly. You know, it's just the standard Nykthos, uh is overpowered, Abzan is overpowered. Um, but we did see a lot of interesting decks like Five Color Rally. Uh, we saw Jeskai Tokens. Uh, I saw Jace just destroy people. Uh, Jace turns out to be a really good card, even though I, you know, my initial impression was like, why would you do this? This is such a bad card, but he's like, he was just so good. This is like the suck- second coming of Jace the Mind Sculptor or something in standard. Um, but yeah, a lot, a lot of cool new decks. Um, but at the end of the day, the top eight kind of looked like the old top eight. And that's probably because a lot of people are holding their cards for the Pro Tour. Um, but it, it was a good preview of things to come. So Seth, you just released uh, today, uh, actually, uh, week one, as you always do, Magic Origins by the Numbers. So I guess you can explain that and your take on the Star, on Star City Games, because I guess they really tie so well into each other. Yeah, well, I mean, first off, the tournament this weekend was awesome. It was super entertaining. Personally, I'm a much bigger fan when I'm watching coverage of Modern and Legacy. Like, those formats just interest me much more. But this was a great standard tournament, and it really kept my attention. Uh, A lot of interesting decks. Uh, Like Richard said, kind of the same old thing in the top eight, but especially day one was just super sweet. And there was a lot of really cool decks that just missed out on the top eight, which I kind of mentioned in in my article. Uh, As far as the article, basically broke down what Magic Origins cards saw play this weekend, uh, what decks they saw play in, and how many copies showed up. So the two big winners... Far and away above everything else were Languish and Nissa Vastwoodseer, which I don't think is really a surprise. Everyone kind of pegged Languish from the beginning. Uh, one thing that was kind of shocking is Nissa was very widely adapted in Abzan midrange right off the bat. Most decks are playing two or three copies, and I know you've been a big fan of that card, Chaz. Did you see this coming? Were you expecting week one this to be one of the biggest cards? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I really would have phrased it as highly as I I did uh, if I didn't. I, I I I mean, it was just it's such easy it's so easily splashable. The one green, uh, it's just 
I thought, I mean, I really thought it was going to be included um, in Abzan. I thought maybe we were going to see some sort of elves. Uh, there was one in top 64, top 32, something like that. Uh, but I, I thought maybe elves would really break out. But yeah, I mean, Nissa in, in those colors is just absolutely great. Like I said, man, Borderland Ranger was was a completely <laughs> acceptable tournament staple, and this turns into a Planeswalker. So, yeah, well, I, I wasn't too surprised. I, I think you guys, you probably looked over the article, but maybe the biggest surprise is what the least played of the Planeswalkers was. You guys, uh, do you guys know? Liliana. It's my favorite, Liliana. Oh, one, man. One copy. What Only one on? copy. Richard. What's, what's well, I mean, I, I chose Liliana as the best and Jace as the worst, and boom, the exact opposite. You're not wrong. Uh, a certain writer, final grade, Jace Telepath Unbound, D minus, found dead in a mud hole after drunkenly stumbling into a swarm of swamp mosquitoes. Is, is, uh, Who wrote I, that? I don't know, man. Uh, yes, I think. I admitted in my last article, I think Jace is a little bit better than Tibalt. <laughs> yeah, just just slightly, yeah. Just, just a smidge, but no, I, I definitely uh, underrated Jace severely. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know what's going on. I, know, I blame I, Jerry Thompson. I think it's his fault that people were playing it. I think I now have my strategy going forward for every set. If you and Richard both don't <laughs> like a card... That is the card I'm going to buy. <laughs> That's my strategy. We, we had another breakout card this week. Yes, weekend, we did. Your favorite card. <laughs> you know, you, you know, just hang your back walker <laughs> into uh, Falker Spy Network. Wins Man. <laughs> Man. You know, I was... I didn't think it would actually come together. A four-mana Bitter Blossom that had, like, a restriction but it drew you a card. I was kind of iffy. I mean, my whole my whole premise of the card was that I just thought it was better than 49 cents. That's all I know. I knew it should not be the same price as Al Hammeret. I mean, but... <laughs> um, no, I mean, Jeff Hoogland, watching that deck was insanely fun, um, to say the least. I don't know, like, where this is going forward. Certainly in the future, I think, um, without Darksteel Citadel... Uh, it would be really hard-pressed to see a lot of play. But, I mean, for now, it was good, man. <laughs> I I think I think the numbers on that are a little deceptive. Like, I think that Spy Network is more about the hype and the camera time it got than the actual play. Because if you look down through how many copies were played, it was only Jeff Hoogland, and he only right. played two copies. That was it. But he was on camera like five matches over the course, like constantly they were featuring him. So people got really hyped <laughs> up about this card, even though no one was really playing it except for him. And he was only playing two of them. I, yeah, well it was in tandem with hanger back Walker, but I, I agree. I mean, Hey, it, it, it definitely, uh, top eighting, I think really solidified that the card was going to increase. I mean, again, it, it's not like there was a massive, I mean, I guess, yeah, it really was a massive increase up from like the, under $1 pre-order prices that it was. Um, but yeah, it, you, he may not have played a lot of copies, but every copy he did play was just insane value. Yeah. And I mean, Hangerback Walker had a great performance. Not only was it in his deck, 
It showed up as a four of in a red-white aggro deck that was played into 11th place by Ryan Hip, and it was in a straight-up control deck with, like, four creatures. They were playing Hangerback Walker and, like, a couple Dragon Lords, too. So yeah. that card's showing up all over the place in a wide range of strategies. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> again... I, it was just in. It was just awesome to see all these like different cards. And, and yeah, like Richard said, the meta wasn't like completely broken wide open. But I mean, it was still really fun. Uh, there was a ton of Abzan there, uh, and that I guess just makes sense in a unknown meta that you just kind of just play Siege Rhino, which makes sense. But overall, it was really fun. I, I really enjoyed watching this. Not just because of Thopter's Pie Network. <laughs> <laughs> because of the Sword of the Animist. <laughs> the Miser's copy in the... Yeah, the Miser copy, man. It got it got in there. He was like, I'm going to buy a hundred Sword of the Animists. I'm going to win the SCG. <laughs> We're going to make bank. <laughs> yeah. Um, truthfully, I mean, I think I undervalued that car, that car specifically. Um, now, it may not be like an auto four of, which I'm not expecting it to be, so... Maybe not completely undervalued, but um, I was surprised that uh, Jeff Uglin was not playing something like this um, in tandem with Dr. Spy Network. Because, I mean, that's almost like a Callblade type thing where... <laughs> sort of you know, the Animus. I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> like, you always have a body. And you thin yeah. your deck with, uh, with with getting a land every single Dude, time. Dude, you would wreck the control mirror <laughs> if you had sort of the Animus in play. Yeah, it's like you want to, you want to, you want to have a counterspell war. I have fifteen lands. What are you, what are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah. Um. So maybe that's a thing going forward. Maybe that's something to keep an eye on. Um. Now, Seth, uh, you you wrote the article. Is there anything like future, uh, you know, leading into the pro tour? That's like what this week, this weekend? Uh, next, next weekend. weekend. Next weekend. Okay, got it. So. Is there anything we can take from this that maybe could happen at the pro tour or? These are all just kind of dummy decks. Well, I mean, I think the good players or people that are actually playing on the Pro Tour probably aren't playing their special brew that they're going to try to win the grand prize with. Uh, that said, I think it really showed, this weekend really showed, that the format has a lot of potentials. Like, there was a lot of crazy decks, mono-white devotion, red-white aggro, green-black elves, Five Color Rally, the Ancestors, Jeff Hoogland's control deck. Like, there's a lot of possibilities, and a pro team technically could tune and show up with any of these decks and have a chance of winning the tournament, potentially. So I'm really excited to see what the pros end up doing, because they have a big and fresh format uh, to work with. Yeah, that Rally, the Ancestors deck was a lot of fun to watch. I'm sorry. That was just really awesome. Uh, it's a pity you lost, but why did he lose, Seth? What? Why did he lose? Oh, was um, that because the Thopters were were colorless and just could block anything? And and uh, probably because he didn't draw enough Jaces, like the double whammy for me. Yeah, that's it. You're right. He couldn't draw enough Jaces. Thopter Spine Network crushing his dreams. It was just an all-around awful weekend for Seth. <laughs> D minus. <laughs> Hey, I, okay, maybe he's up to, like, a C. I'll, right, I'll give him right. that. Okay, okay, fair maybe, enough. Maybe he'll be like Sarkin, you know, he just shows up on week one and then he disappears from the format forever. Yeah, maybe. 
well, we'll, we'll see. We'll see at the Pro Tour. Like, if he shows up and does well at the Pro Tour, then I will definitely admit that I was 100% wrong. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what they bring because there are so many different angles of attack in the format right now. Like, you have graveyard strategies. You have enchantment-based strategies. You have go-wide aggro. You have, like, you know, the all-in-one-creature heroic aggro. So it's hard to, like, build a control deck where it's hard to kind of just be prepared for all these strategies. So I wonder if the Pro Tour will just be like a mono-red fest where, like, you know, you just proactively try to get your opponent to zero because there's just too many different strategies to account for uh, yeah. in the format. That is true. Or, you know, we even see more Abzan than we did this past weekend where, you know, in a in a, in a uh, unknown meta, I just want to cast my Siege Rhino, you know? just get there with Den Protectors and whatever else. It's just Nyssa, Elspeth, Garrick, you know, just, yeah, just throw, throw them all out there and have the Planeswalker. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, um, any kind of final thoughts on the uh, standard section? I just, so many stuff. I mean, it really was just, again, I can't say it enough. It was so interesting. So many different little um, intricate synergy, like even just Clash of Wills sewing up really doing a lot of work, even just, like, on the draw as, like, Clash of Wills for one is, like, a really bad spore spike uh, got there a lot. Yeah, that card's definitely a big deal for Standard, I think. As someone that likes playing Control, having a way to counter something on two mana is is very important and doesn't always... Uh, we don't always have access to that in Standard, so I'm definitely excited to see that back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just breaking down the numbers... You can go read it on the site. Um, Languish and Nyssa, really just far and above uh, a lot of the other cards in the in the set. Maybe that'll change going forward, but I'm assuming those two are going to be here to stay. Also, shout out to Gaia's Revenge. 35 copies in sideboards. Actually, if you put the main decks and sideboards together, Gaia's Revenge would have been the third most played card from Magic Origins. Gaia. Gaia. <laughs> that's what i said right <laughs> yeah sure <laughs> no but very, very good very good yeah there is a, uh it did show up in standard too uh harbinger of tides also showed up in modern um richard uh we talked about this last time this basically just replaced tidebinder, tidebinder mage yeah yeah we saw a lot of the modern decks from the iq just ran a couple copies of harbinger as a, you know, it's a, a two-drop Merfolk when you need it, and then uh, it's a utility creature later on, so it just slot happily into modern Merfolk. Yeah. Um, other than that, M- modern didn't really seem too shaken up. There was a copy of Liliana somewhere, I think, in one of the collected company lists. I'm not... Healer? I think, wasn't there? Oh, no, that's Linvala. Sorry. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> a little different. Yeah, just a little bit. So no real huge shakeups there. Now, there was a huge shakeup in Legacy. Now, this isn't, you know, this is just, this is an IQ. I don't know how many people were there. But, um, Richard, uh, I have to say, this is the first time I've seen robots in a long time. Uh, piloted by Scott Muir. Moyer? I- I'm sorry, man, if I, I butchered your name. Uh, came in a sixth place with three copies of Days Undoing. Yeah, apparently it's okay in Legacy to uh, dump <laughs> your hand and refill your opponents. 
I, I don't know how that actually works because uh, your your storm <laughs> opponent is just gonna combo off against you, especially with a deck like this with no answers. But apparently, I got the job done because you got sixth place with the three days undoing main deck in a robots list. So uh, we're definitely seeing uh, days undoing in legacy. People are definitely trying it, and uh, Scott found some success this weekend. Yeah. Go ahead, Seth. Do you think, Richard, this is... You also see in the deck there's three Disciple of the Fall. Is the idea here that you will combo kill, basically, with Disciple? He's playing, like, Frogmites, all these zero-cost artifacts, three Disciples, and then the Days Undoing. So is the idea to not let your opponent untap and just kill them by sacking everything to Disciple of the Vault with, like, Ravager? Yeah, that's, like, the general idea. That's one of the outs, yeah. But the the thing is, like, they can just force you back. So, like, I'm not exactly sure. Like, my guess is there's just multiple avenues of attack here. Like, you Mm -hmm. can kind of just do the value plan. You can try to, you know, use cranial plating. You can uh, just try to combo them out with Disciple. Um, My guess is that's the point of the deck. But without seeing it on camera, it's hard to know what's happening. Um, Because, like in Legacy, we talked about before, you have Force of Will, you have Daze, you know, you have lots of ways of doing stuff, even though you're tapped out. So just because your opponent casts days on doing doesn't mean they get a free roll. Um, but uh, it, it did show up, right? And uh, I'm pretty yeah. sure we'll see a lot more of it, um, you know, in other, you know, Delver-esque decks and things like that. People will keep trying it. Right. You think this is like a glimmer of hope for robots to make like a comeback? I mean, again, I mean, we've been... We've been doing the podcast for weeks, um, months, and uh, I haven't never, I haven't seen a robots list. Um, I don't think any of the weeks that I can remember. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure because I, I haven't had much experience playing with it. But you know, right? Are you going to beat a storm deck? Like, is your matchup just like zero? <laughs> like, if they like turn one or turn two kill you, can you do anything? Are you fast enough? That's well, that's, I guess that's he, the real question, right? Like, how I guess fast the answer is a goldfish kill. Yeah, I guess the answer is no, because uh, he got six and Ant got third. <laughs> I don't know if they actually played each other, but um, I'm guessing if they did play each other, he lost. So, <laughs> like, It may um, be one of those things in Legacy where it's a perfectly viable deck, but there's just some deck that has the same game plan that's slightly better. Yeah. A, yeah. a faster deck, but um, it, it does bring hope. I mean, it does run Aethersworn Canonist, so I mean, that's... That's its out against yeah. uh, combo. Like, is my and guess. Containment Priest out of the sideboard. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, interesting interesting stuff from Legacy. Three days undoing. And a, a Shaman of the Pack sighting in Elves. The one of just making all kinds of problems. <laughs> yeah, that, that was an actually... It's very interesting to see if it actually did anything useful. <laughs> so it, it's, the, it's the card that deals damage to an opponent equal to the number of Elves you control. Right. So I, I don't know how relevant that is, because usually you don't have that many elves on the battlefield, right? Like, you generate tons of mana, but that's usually off Gaia's Cradle. But apparently just, like, dealing 10 damage out of combat or something will just uh, win the well, game. You, well, I mean, you could Wirewood Symbiote back to your hand, like, and just keep replaying it, right? Yeah. For that kind of win? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so... And even Natural seems, Order for it. Yep. Yeah. Just seems like a very cool, like, alternate win... Uh, in comparison to yeah. Crater. And I mean, like, Elves has a non-trivial percentage of wins off the pure beatdown plan. Right. Where they just cast a bunch of dudes and just smash your face in without actually doing anything <laughs> yeah. useful. So Shaman of the Pack could also help that plan as well. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, good point. 
All right. So, any thoughts? Final thoughts on the on, on Legacy or Standard Star City Games opens? Um, do we want to make any kind of predictions on uh, the Pro Tour before we talk about price uh, movement? Uh, we might want to wait till next week. I think. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's true. If yeah. it, I mean, up to you, but. No, that's fine. Um, yeah, we could talk about that more next week. You're right. I keep forgetting it's not this weekend. So disregard me. <laughs> Uh, sorry, listeners. Uh, before we get into, so we won't talk about PT, but we will talk about. Um, there was a very controversial Magic Online announcement, and I will completely open the floor to you two because I do not participate in MTGO, and I guess uh, it's a good thing I don't because uh, not a lot of people are very excited with this announcement. So, Richard, um, why don't you uh, tell us what what happened? Yeah, so they, they basically changed the way you enter events and how they pay out events. And this is all events, so uh, eight-mans, two-mans, daily events. And basically, they're expanding their use of play points, which are the old phantom points. Um, but basically, now you use them uh, to enter uh, in addition. Uh, or They're one of the ways you can enter a event. And the events now, instead of just paying out in packs, they pay out in a combination of packs and play points. And uh, it's, it's very complicated. No one really knows what's going on. So there are a couple posts on Reddit trying to figure out what this means from a EV perspective. And I have this post here by Frack Guru, who's saying basically for daily events, if your win percentage is 55% or above, your EV increased, assuming a certain pack price. Uh, 52 and below, your EVs slightly decreased. And uh, eight mans, uh, their EVs got better, but they're still negative EV. Uh, so that's the summary from the community as we know so far. Um, but the big issue here is uh, your EV is now tied up in play points, uh, which cannot be cashed out. They must be reinvested back into the system. Um, so there's this very clear kind of uh, division, whereas previously you would get packs and you could sell those packs to get money or get tickets and buy cards. Now you're going to get play points and you're going to have to enter drafts or something to try to convert them uh, into actual cards for your collection. Yeah. Uh, Seth, you play Magic Online also. Um, what, what does this really mean? What, what um, like, like Richard mentioned, the, uh, the announcement, what does this really do? Are you... Uh, are you not liking this announcement? I am not 100% sure what to think of this announcement, uh, to be completely honest. Uh, there's definitely some bad things. The, the main negative that I don't even think there's any argument about is they doubled the price of daily events, which doesn't impact me too much because I don't play dailies very often, but they cost twice as much, and the payout is definitely not double what it was before. So that's definitely a downside. Um, the other main issue is there's just no liquid, uh, liquidity here. You're basically, you're getting these tickets that you can't trade, you can't get cards for, uh, all you can do with them is enter more events. So even if you go infinite, you can never, or it's much more difficult to actually come out ahead or make money, uh, on Moto now than it was, uh, yesterday or before the announcement. Yeah, like, I, I just don't understand the point of this change. Like, the, the overall reaction for the community is it's very negative. Um, you see bot chains uh, reporting a, a increase in people selling their collections, similar to kind of the V4 fiasco. 
And uh, like Mishra's Photoshop on Twitter posted a very interesting picture, which I absolutely love. I think it describes the situation. It's a picture of Drew Carey. And it says, uh, welcome to Magic Online, where everything is made up and the play points don't matter. Right? And I think that's the sentiment a lot of people, like, <laughs> share. Right? Like, what, like what, what exactly is going on? Like, why do we have tickets, play points, and packs? Why is it so complicated that I need, you know, a thousand-word Reddit post to explain to me what it means to play the daily event and what the payout is? Right? Like, what, what are they trying to achieve? Right? Like, I don't see any significant improvement here even if things are slightly cheaper it doesn't matter because now my money is tied in a system that uh, i can't get back out um so so you know what what exactly does this achieve aside from cause a bunch of confusion right so i think you know that that is a problem and then in, in itself no one really understands the change is it better value is it less value it's unclear and there are all these spreadsheets floating around kind of trying to describe the situation but the problem is most of them are reliant on uh, a prediction of the pack price, which we don't know what the pack price will be because uh, they will theoretically go up with this change because there will be fewer packs in the system, but no one really knows uh, to what price point that uh, they'll go to. Yeah. So as someone who doesn't play Magic Online and could be interested in playing Magic Online, like, what do I do now? Like, I don't feel like I have any incentive to even try it because let's just say I'm not good at draft. Like, well, then I'm not going to be enjoying myself on there. You know, like, I just don't understand. Like, are they trying to make it easier? Are they trying to make it harder? I just don't know. Like, it just doesn't feel like I'm being incentivized to try Magic Online. I think that there was a big complaint for the last few months about how low booster prices are. Uh, you would play uh, play like a two-man queue under the old system. You, each person pays in two tickets, which is basically $2, and then the winner gets one booster pack. And ideally, that's fine because the MSRP on a booster pack is $3.99, so it's basically full value. But in practice, these booster packs have actually been worth, at some points, less than two tickets. So you're actually, even if you win, you're actually losing value every match you play. So this change was designed to fix that problem, the problem is it's so confusing and it's created so much uncertainty as to what's happening that it's had a, a, an immediate negative effect on the Magic Online community just because no one understands what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, it really bothers me because they're they're just wasting their energy on, like, this change that doesn't do much, right? Like, where where are leagues, right? The, the uh, proposed solution to everything, right? Like, I just want to play Magic, you know, when I want in short durations against people of equal skill, right? You know, ranked matchmaking in any other game, right? But we don't have that today. And instead, we have, like, these four-hour daily events, which now cost double the price to enter, which now pay you back in, uh, you know, made-up money, right? So, you know, it seems like we're just kind of going around in circles without actually addressing anything, right? Like, at the end of the day... You know, if you were new to collectible card games, I would just say go play Hearthstone, right? <laughs> like, you know, like, like what, what are you going to do with Magic Online, right? Like, Magic Online is kind of for, like, the hardcore, I know everything about Magic and I need to grind. Uh, but even then, it's still not that enjoyable, right? We just play it because you have no better alternative, right? There, There is no better way to practice competitive Magic than Magic Online, right? But there's so much more improvement that can be made. Uh, in terms of gameplay. And we're not even talking about things like, you know, 
the client is laggy or the UI is unintuitive. Just things like I can't play, you know, a competitive one-hour match when I want to. I need to sit down for, you know, a four-hour chunk of time to kind of break even, or I need to pay, you know, $2 a match, right? Like, we're basically play, basically playing anti on Magic Online, which, you know, we've abolished in the paper game, yet here we are today, right? So it's just really confusing. And what, what what's worse is kind of the the air of negativity because you know right like everyone comes out of the woodworks and complains about magic online now and like for new players that don't know about magic online all you hear is this negativity Mm -hmm. right and then they'll never start playing magic online so like that's kind of like the secondary problem to all this where this kind of just opens the floodgates for more complaints about magic online which i'm doing right now but (laughs) (laughs) no that's not that's a well, yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. And, like, the more people complain, the more new people are like, well, I mean, if everyone that plays Magic is complaining about the client, I'll just go play, like, Hearthstone or something. Uh, it's much easier or whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, ever since Magic Online really started becoming, like, a thing, uh, I always viewed it as, like, something secondary to um, Paper Magic. Because, you know, for me... Call me old school or whatever. You know, I still, to me, like, Magic is a paper game first, online game second. But in that quickly has changed over uh, the course of a few years where, you know, people don't want to drive to X store. If there's not a store around them, they just want to go online from the comfortability of their own home. And I get that. And I understand that's that's what people want to do. And they just want a good working client like you said, Richard, that's not laggy, that's intuitive. Uh, it doesn't take up like 10 gigs of RAM because it's just so like memory leaky or whatever it does. And they just want to enjoy Magic Online from their house. And that's that just seems like it's they're not being pressured enough to do that because I think there's kind of still stuck in that mentality of, oh, everyone just plays paper anyway. And, you know, Magic Online is just kind of like this, you know, secondary thing where, it could really change very quickly that Magic Online is the future and not many people end up going to play Paper Magic anymore. Yeah, obviously, the high-end EV events are going to be paper. That's not going to change, but you never know. Like, the people, you know, times are changing, and I just feel like they're not really changing with them. So that's my take as someone who doesn't play Magic Online. Magic Online, the AOL... Yeah, modern day no. AOL, right? Yeah, <laughs> like what? Yeah, exactly. Why do you still have dial-up? Like, what's what's going on? Yeah, what? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I was really hoping Hearthstone would kind of like light a spark, but like nothing's really happened, right? And Hearthstone will overtake Magic. Like you, like Hearthstone has like an unlimited ceiling. They can add more sets. They can add complex rules. They can overtake Magic easily, right? And their tournaments um, are getting really big, right? Streaming-wise, they're already much larger than Magic. Yeah. It's so even though now it's a game in its infancy, like, you know, just compare Magic back to when it was an alpha or beta, right? But it has such a strong platform to stand on. If Magic Online doesn't do something, their their market's just going to get cannibalized by Hearthstone. Absolutely. And and yeah, I mean, you even just look at like a top pro tour stream and it's not even like breaking Hearthstone's numbers on like a random like Tuesday or something like that. Well, yeah, I mean, just look at, like, Brian Kibler or, like, you know, anyone, right? Like, they produce way more Hearthstone content now. They play a lot more Hearthstone. People who stream daily events, 
play Hearthstone in between the rounds to, like, yeah. do something, right? Like, it's just kind of ridiculous that when I sit down to a daily event, I'm only playing 50% of the time, and the other 50%, I'm, like, squeezing in games of Hearthstone. <laughs> just like, <laughs> like, what, like, what, what, like, what is going on here? It's absolutely true. I mean, Brian Kibler, uh, tweets himself getting a legendary or playing Hearthstone in between Pro Tour uh, rounds. So, it, you know, it's quickly becoming like a thing. And I think it's just because of the ineptitude of Wizards and really investing a lot of time, uh, you know, R&D or developing and software to Magic Online. And it's it's sad because they really could have like such a great product because Magic is a great product. And, and part of the problem is Magic Online, even with all its problems, is incredibly powerful. There was estimates like five years ago, uh, I think it was, it might have been Worth that did an interview where one of those guys said between 30 and 40% of the overall Magic revenue comes from Magic Online. Yeah. So wow. this is a giant chunk of the Magic universe. So as long as they're pulling in money hand over fist, they probably don't have that big of a reason to invest a ton of money in it and uh, it make it a huge priority because they're already doing great from the from the business bottom line perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, it, I I would have to think Hearthstone's uh, definitely cutting into their uh, you know their profits or whatever or, or you know even popularity and all that. So uh, hopefully it does it enough to really light a spark under them. So. That's that's my hope for all you Magic the Gathering online players. Uh, me, I'm just cool with playing paper. Dude, man, how cool would it be to be, like, on a bus for, like, 30 minutes and you get a quick game of Magic in? That would be insane. That would be awesome, right? But now yeah. we have Magic Duels, which uh, has its own problems. <laughs> yeah. About uh, connection issues and gold not being accumulated. And you yeah. can't even play, like, Magic all out on a Mac, let alone a phone. <laughs> right? So... And there's no real, like, end goal of duels, you know? Like, at least the end goal of Magic Online is you have cards. You know, like, what's the goal of what's the goal of duels? I mean, like, you're never going to be able to, like, do anything with them, you know? I don't know. Which is, which is why I always kind of thought, like, Magic Online would have more of an incentive uh, than Hearthstone in the future if they actually, like, did anything with Magic Online, is that um, while... Hearthstone is awesome and all that. You never really get any kind of monetary value out of Hearthstone. It's all just kind of digital cards. It's a collectible card game rather than a trading you get, card you game. You get rank numbers, right? Like how many people play nonstop to try to get like rank one or how to, you know, get to legendary or, you know, get rank 20 or whatever. Right, Whereas that's true. Magic Online, like there's no real actual purpose. It's like self-improvement, right? It's like you got you to gotta take that into you. Well, I mean, you can win at least like packs and those packs like you can i don't know you can end up like redeeming at some point right if you end up yeah. making most, a set right most teams have an incentive system right where right yeah i get one in the world right like i'm sure we'd get a lot more competition uh you know if there was an actual rank one and like every month you see like all the pros trying to battle it out for you know who can hold number one spot yeah but yeah they don't do that right or you know no, you you could have uh gold cards the foil cards in Magic Online are a joke. They're, like, cheaper than actual <laughs> cards because you can't see anything and they lag your computer. So it's actually a disadvantage to have foil cards. Listen, just look at the Hearthstone client, do the same thing with Magic, hire some voice actors, <laughs> make the cards animated, and there you go. 
Just, co- just, just copy Hearthstone pound for pound. Don't even question if it fits in Magic or not. Just copy it, port the IP over, and we should be good to go. Yeah. Instead of instead of drawing three cards from Ponder, which you basically can't do anyway in Magic Online, you'll just get three random cards. Because so, <laughs> Hearthstone isn't capable of doing some of the Magic stuff, and Magic stuff Online's broken anyway and can't do it anyway, so might as well just pour it on over. <laughs> Everything just becomes random. Dude, how um, sick would it be to have, like, a Jace avatar you can just taunt your opponent the entire game? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to brainstorm. And then just yeah. Taunt <laughs> hey, man, it could work. I'm get sorry. Some, I'm get sorry. some $9.99 uh, uh, skins for your your character or whatever. Oh. Dude, they could sell playmats. There's so much potential for Magic Online. Oh, yeah. Like, you could charge, like, five bucks a playmat, and people would probably buy them. Even well, though, like, I mean, if accomplishes nothing, but it makes their screen pretty and people will do it. Hey, hey, they do it in Hearthstone. They buy the little skins for your character. Dude, League Not of Legends, ten, man. $20 a skin. Yeah. That's absolutely ten nothing. $10? You could, you could buy a playmat on Magic Online. Yep. It almost seems like a steal at 5 bucks. <laughs> Alright. Seth, let's do some price movement. So, why don't you uh, rattle off uh, Standard? All right, looking at the weekly change for Standard, we have in the winner's category, Obelisk of Erd up over 100%, Rally the Ancestors up nearly 300%, then a bunch of smaller gainers, Wooded Foothills, Polluted Delta, Flooded Strand, Ojitai's Command, Bioblight, Bloodstained Mire, Court of Calling, and Coligan's Command. On the other side of the bracket, uh, the losers, we have Collected Company, followed by Dragonlord Ojitai, Windswept Heath, Dramoka's Command, Nissa World Waker, Garuk Apex Predator, Ajani Mentor of Heroes, Narset Transcendent, Stormbreath Dragon, and Temple of Enlightenment. Yeah, so um, some really big gainers there. Obelisk of Erd. Uh, I mean, I didn't see anything from Star City with Obelisk. I'm assuming some elves and goblin type... Um, I mean, I guess that's it. I, I didn't really see it at the pro. There was at the Star goblins. City. I think Saito posted his ten right. Uh, new okay, gotcha. I think yep, all yep, this yep. was in there. Yeah. So if you haven't seen those, um, they're up on the website. The Saito brews are actually really interesting. Um, Rally the ancestors, a huge increase, but still only just above a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> but up from like twenty cents. I mean, that's that's a pretty big gain. It is, yeah. I mean, percentage-wise, it's a big deal. I'll be interested to see. I know you have some copies, Jazz. Have you had any luck selling them? Yeah, I I sold a few of them at uh, $7 a set. Really? $7 a set? Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, I guess that worked out pretty well then. I I didn't sell them all, though, so um, they're really dropping fast. (laughs) But um, I mean, why would you not just buy them? Like, you know, at like a dollar twenty a card. Like, if you need it for a set, are you really gonna try to wait to like save like a buck and not play your no. ancestors deck? Like, no, right? People are gonna scoop these up. Right. Absolutely. To, yeah, to play and, the the new deck, right? And for me, I mean, letting them go for seven dollars a set. Um, they I got them for twenty cents, so which free shipping. Wait, um, so for me, yeah. The stamp costs more. <laughs> 20 cents free shipping on all of them. I got, what, 30 of them? So for me, like, it was totally fine. Other than that, um, 
Seth, we talked about the the Fetchlands. Obviously, uh, uh, Windswept Heath is not on the winner's side for obvious reasons, but because um, of that Clash pack. Ojitai's Command, Bile Blight, Cole against Command, and Court of Calling all up. What do you think about Ojitai's Command? I kind of like it. I, that was one of the revelations of the weekend for me was that Ojitai's Command was universally adapted as a three of in the Jeskai Aggro decks that are playing uh, the Planeswalker I'd prefer not to talk more about. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, so that card went from being extremely expensive during pre-orders to just above bulk. It was like 80 cents for a while. And now it's actually seeing real play in what looks like a real deck thanks to Jace. So I think it's a great card. If you think you're going to play them sometime in the next year, and don't forget, uh, Dragons of Tarkir is a set that goes through two different rotations. So it has two different format shakeups where, in theory, all of a sudden Ojitai's Command could get much better in C play. So I think it's a fine card to have in your collection because there's a good shot that sometime in the next year it's going to be in a deck. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you it's really still at its bottom right now, so... It really couldn't have gone much lower. Um, so I, I think going forward, if you're going to use them, definitely get them now if you're going to use them. On the loser side, not too surprising. Collected Company is really dropping fast uh, from that Clash Pack. So we might actually see the $10 that we talked about, Seth. Yeah, I think it's definitely a possibility. I'm I'm hoping to research uh, plus EV supplemental products sometime in the next week or so. So uh, I'll be excited to see how that turns out because this one is just such an interesting example. I was talking to Richard Offcast the other day, and my theory is that Wizards missed on Collected Company. Like, I don't think Wizards thought Collected Company was a $20 card. I think they thought it was a $5 card. And that would put yeah. the value about right with Windswept Heath being the chase rare in the Clash Pack. So I, right. that's my theory as to what happened, is Collected Company being so expensive and so good caught Wizards by surprise. The the Origins cards are split out still, so we should talk about them. Oh, okay, I didn't good. merge them in, but like Jace is up like 50%. All right, sweet. Um, <laughs> all right. Yeah, thanks, um, Richard. Richard. <laughs> <laughs> um. Exactly. I mean, they undervalued Collected Company a lot themselves, too. Um, everything else is kind of normal. A lot of Theros M15 stuff on their way out. Dramoka's Command, Windswept Heath, obviously in the Clash Pack. Um, and Narset just keeps continuing to drop. Um, under $10 can be picked up around $9. I mean, at some point, I mean, this is starting to become very like attractive as something to invest in, maybe. Being a mythic from dragons, it has a chance to really shoot up quickly to like twenty dollars if it does see play. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Yeah, and not that it's like not a bad card, right? Like it's still not a bad card. No, I mean it's a good card. It just doesn't have a home. Like there's there's no home for it right now. So until it finds a deck, uh, it's a good card that just isn't going to see play. Yeah. Um. Moving over to Modern, and we will touch on the Magic Origins. Richard, um, again, so helpful to have the Modern, modern uh, or Magic Origins section on there for us to talk about, so we'll touch on that. Um, so Modern, Tarmogoyf ex- Engineered Explosives. Again, this is the weekly change. Aether Vial, Magus of the Moon, Glimmer Void, Manamu, 
Manamo, School at Water's Edge, uh, Life from the Loam, both uh, editions of that, Liliana of the Veil, and Night of Souls Betrayal. On the Losers, Snapcaster Mage, Horizon Canopy, Grove of the Burn Willows, Circle Protection Red, <laughs> uh, uh, Cryptic Command, Arcbound Ravager, Blood Moon, Sword of Fire and Ice, Blood Moon, and Elish Norn. So, yeah, um, I've been seeing Life of the Loams, you know, steadily chug along. Yeah, I think um, it's seen a little bit more play. I'm trying to remember what tournament was. A couple weekends ago, there was a modern tournament that had a couple of decks that were featured. Um, I know G- has- Yeah, I know GP Leal, uh, and I was told uh, that's how you pronounce it, so thank you uh, for... Uh, the listener who pointed that out for me. Um, there was a lot of that, uh, the loam decks in Legacy that one time, so maybe that's kind of a- another little spark of life from the ro- loam starting to pick back up. Yeah, and also, uh, what's the card from Magic Origins? It's like Seismic Assault. I can't think of the name of it right uh, now. Molten Vortex or something Mol- like that? Yeah, that sounds right. So there might be a little <laughs> bit of hype there of people wanting to try that out in Modern. So Yeah. Not too surprised to see Circle Protection Red on the Losers. <laughs> I am a little more uh, surprised to see Snapcaster up there again. I, I have to think at this point it's market pushback. People don't really want to spend, you know, $85, $90 on a Snapcaster page. But, yeah, and I think it's the same thing with Horizon Canopy and Grove. Like, they spike so big, and now, like, people are undercutting uh, each other, and the price is coming down a bit to kind of in between where it was and where it spiked to. Yeah, and um, to that end, I mean, the modern season's kind of on its way out. You know, it, it's kind of waning at this point. But um, I don't see a reprint in the foreseeable future until in between the time now and the next modern season. So I would have to think this might rebound. Yeah, I don't think there's any chance Snapcaster Mage gets printed in a standard set. And I think it's too expensive to show up in a commander deck or something like that. So I agree with you. Yeah. So, uh, if those of you who were kind of on the fence about playing a blue deck in Modern, uh, just wait a little bit longer and you'll be able to pick up some cheaper uh, (laughs) Snapcaster mages uh, going forward. Um, So, moving on to Magic Origins. (laughs) Top of the list, weekly change, Jace Vryn's Prodigy. What do you know? He graduated from college. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it looks like he did. <laughs> With flying colors, uh, A+, plus, uh, up from a D, really studied. Um, Hangerback Walker, Thopter Spy Network, yeah. Uh, Chandra, Pyromancer's Goggles, Abbot of Carol Keep, Languish, Kytheon, Days Undoing, and Sphinx's Tutelage. Not surprising. Weekly change on the loser end. Pile Driver, Sword of the Animist, Evolutionary Leap, Honored Hierarch, Liliana Heretical Healer, aw, Richard, Animus Awakening, Avaricious Dragon, Disciple of the Ring, Relic Seeker, and Dark Petition. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of cards that had good weekends. Pyromancer's Goggle was on camera. Uh, Days Undoing, we just talked about in Legacy. Uh, Jace, Hangerback Walker, Thopter Spy Network, like all those cards saw increases. Not really sure why Chandra's on that list. Uh, she was in one of the red decks uh, in the top 64 at SCD Chicago, uh, but she wasn't widely uh, adopted or anything. 
Right. I actually, I think uh, from your numbers, wasn't Abbott of Carroll Keep had more copies in Star City Games than Chandra? It did. Abbott, there were three, like, red aggro decks. One of them played four Abbots, one played two, and one played zero. So there was an interesting, like, people are still trying to figure out exactly how many they should be playing. Yeah. And then Sphinx's tutelage in that gruesome, uh, <laughs> uh, painful uh, uh, Turbo Fog deck. Yeah, that was rough. I really love un- rough. I love unfair magic, and I'm pretty sure that deck would have made me flip the table. But I thought magic's not supposed to be fun for both players, man. For some reason, Turbo Fog is the one deck that I cannot stand to lose to. I don't know why, but it just drives me absolutely insane. It's, you can it's, very, it's me. the synergy of all the bad cards together yeah. equals yeah. a good deck. It's very <laughs> frustrating, yes. It's very frustrating. Um, on the loser's end, um, yeah, these cards just really didn't show up this weekend. So uh, Liliana didn't even really show up that much. One or at all. One copy, one, there you one go. One total copy. Liliana's not surprising, but Pile Driver, Goblins didn't yeah. really make that much of a splash this weekend. I think no, they were like two or three in the top 64, but it wasn't the, you know, Foundry Street Denizen into Pile Driver into Ravel Master Curve that everyone feared. It apparently wasn't good enough. That's the Pro Tour Brewer there. <laughs> That's the one everyone's holding back. <laughs> um Sort of the Animus isn't too surprising because it just started really high. I mean, I understand it's a pretty decent card, but 599 was a little much. Yeah, I think Evolutionary Leap's the same way. Maybe it's a fine card. I know some people really like it, but it just started off at a really high price point for a rare. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Um, I still would like to hold on to those. Um, again, I respect it as a even a fair uh, survival of the fittest. So... Um, I think that's it for price movement. We have a couple of fish mail. So thank you for everyone for sending these in. So MK at Spellslinger87, he asked me and Seth if we could talk about strategies we use to determine what we uh, speculate on or invest in. Current decks, spoilers, etc. So Seth, do you want to field this first? Yeah, well, for me, honestly, a lot of... Well, first, I should say, I don't really spec all that often. Yeah, I was going to say... I've talked about that before. Like, I sometimes buy a few things here or there, usually only a couple copies, or I buy a whole bunch of crappy bulk rares that I think are good for some reason. (laughs) Um, But real speculation, as most people would consider it, just isn't my thing. Like, I'm more of a collection grinder, and I've written several articles on that. But for me, it mostly comes out of writing my articles, just like doing research on cards and noticing like the numbers on cards. Like this spread is really low. This card started to see more play. Um, Foil multiplier is out of the normal. Like when a whole combination of those things hit at the same time for the same card, that piques my interest. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you on all those. And I understand, you know, again, Seth is the collection grinder. I'm more of the stock investor, I guess, where uh, I'll look at a card and invest in it. And basically for every reason that Seth just said, I mean, low spread is basically a really good telling sign for me. And yeah, just evaluating deck lists. Just recently, I I guess to to point out, like Living End was a four of in in a deck that is pretty popular and and cheap, all things considered, in in the modern 
format, and it just seemed like one of those cars that could just pop at any second. You know, uh, it was kind of flying under the radar at like $3, and all these kind of little situations come in where Splinter Twin was, Splinter Twin rather, was just reprinted. That was kind of getting incorporated into this twinning end deck. So that's even another variant of the living end deck and uh, kind of brought those prices down. So it kind of just seemed like everything was going well for living end. To tell you the truth, I really don't do all that much of speculation, quote unquote, where I'll pick a card, you know, with baseless. Uh, I kind of got burned a lot on those. And to give you an example that I use a lot, um, that kind of, oh, which I will consider speculation. This card is going to be great for rotation, quote-unquote. So I bought Underworld Cerberus thinking, you know, I've been a Magic player a long time, and a 5-mana 6-6 that doesn't get blocked and has an ability pretty seemed pretty good to me, an ability of which that could have been used. So I thought it was pretty damn good at like a 50-cent buy, and there you go, it's just bulk. So you just never know like what's going to get printed in the future. So even that, like, I just don't really speculate. Now, <laughs> in terms of uh, Magic Origins, I heavily speculated on Thopter Spy Network, and it just so happens that it turned out great. Uh, but that's just kind of those things that I don't do often, and like I said earlier in the cast, um, my only real basis was I thought it shouldn't be the same price as Alhameret, and uh, I thought it was a pretty decent card even at four mana, uh, Bitter Blossom was an extremely good card, uh, but again, not th- those two are totally different. So, again, like Seth said, just the basic, is it being shown in deck lists? Uh, how's the spread looking? How's the foil multiplier looking? You know, what kind of other factors are going into it? Did something else just get reprinted in the deck that uh, maybe it could soak up some of the price? Uh, when was its last reprint? Like, uh, Arcbound Ravager, right? Uh, says just kind of took off recently. The last reprint was Modern Masters 1, and that's already a few, a, a, quite some time ago. Uh, and the, the printing before that was Darksteel, which was an incredibly long time ago. So there's just not that much out there. Um, but yeah, I, I tend to stick with the, uh, the proven tournament viable cards, like the Abrupt Decays, the Tazigers, the Voice of Resurgence, uh, those types of cards I like to invest in uh, over, like, uh, I don't know, like just a baseless speculative card like Magus of the Bazaar or something like that. <laughs> 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 um, but, yeah, so uh, I'm more inclined to invest in those types of cards. So that's just me as, like, at how I approach things. And, um, you know, it, it it takes a while to kind of find your groove, you know, Sometimes you won't be doing well, and sometimes, you know, you pitch a really good heater, and, you know, you have a lot of good cards that net you a profit um, sequentially, or, you know, back-to-back. And, um, yeah, it just always constantly learn from uh, your experiences and your investments. Um, and that's, you know, what I, I try to do uh, in this game, you know, in this market, is try to do that. And uh, it, it taught me a lot. And uh, I've certainly changed my investment strategies and my MTG finance outlook uh, over the course of when I first started doing this. Hopefully, with some trial and error, you all will too. So thank you, MK, for that question. Whew. That was a good one. That was a good one. Yeah. (laughs) 
We have, uh, I guess we missed Tomer's question. So I will pose it to you, Seth, and you can answer at your discretion. Uh, what products and techniques do you use to get such luscious hair? <laughs> uh, I, I actually saw this question last week and tried <laughs> to not mention it to either of you because I figured you'd, you'd bring it up. This is all um, on Seth's fault we didn't try to ignore or censor this question you just thought and ignored it how do you like that yeah you just that's that's messed I, up man i tried to find the delete button on twitter but i, I don't think wow <laughs> no actually the secret is i only use shampoo every other day so i wash my hair every day but shampoo only every other day that's the secret to luscious uh saffron hair do you condition on I condition, shampoo days no, only on the shampoo days. There you go. That's the secret to a luscious saffron look. <laughs> we're, we're opening a new article series, uh, the saffron look. <laughs> yeah. Learn instead how to of, look uh, like saffron olive. Uh, <laughs> coming yeah. in Mondays on MTG Gold. Yeah. Instead of doing uh, product like uh, evaluations, like uh, deck boxes and stuff, you could just do shampoo and conditioner. Yeah, shampoo <laughs> reviews. That's my uh, new gig. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Perfect. It's head and shoulders above the rest. Um, anything else, uh, Richard? Did we miss any from your end? No, nope. uh, I think that's all the fish mail for, for this. Yeah. Week. Uh, let me just reiterate, guys. Um, just so we get all of your questions, please. Uh, either one of these three things: email Richard, uh, comment on the articles, uh, the podcast articles themselves, or tweet at. Uh, MTG Goldfish with the hashtag uh, MTG Fishmail because sometimes they kind of get lost in the ether and we don't want to miss anyone's questions. So please, uh, if you could just keep it to one of those three, uh, I'm certain it'll be easier for us to get to and we can answer them. Um, so uh, with that being said, I think that's about it, right? Yeah, I think so. We cover everything? We got everything, right? Yeah. Uh, anything... Um, Nothing's going on this week. Uh, another Star City Games to look forward to, and then Pro Tour. So do you think this will be another interesting week uh, for Star City Games uh, in terms of just a metagame and financial standpoint? Uh, definitely from a metagame standpoint. I'm not sure so much about the financial standpoint with the Pro Tour coming up the week after. Right. Uh, but definitely just a, uh, a shout out to everyone since uh, next week our podcast won't be up till Friday when it is actually when the Pro Tour is starting. Um, if you have any specs you are interested in based on the Pro Tour, don't wait until next Friday or Saturday and try to do the frantic refreshing and hope that people actually send you your cards. Just like buy them yeah. this weekend or the beginning of next week if there's something you want. So. Yeah, uh, Seth, that is probably the best information I can we can convey here, and I wholeheartedly agree with uh, that bit of uh, advice right there. Um, that's certainly something I've started to do. You know, if you miss, you miss, you know, um, but at least you have the cards. You don't have to worry about posting them up and then, like, changing the prices because everyone's racing to the bottom because everyone's cards are coming in at the same time. Uh, you could be ahead of the game. If you're really confident, go for it. If not, um, I guess you can, you know, leave it up to chance, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. just don't wait till the last second. Be uh, prepared ahead of time. Yeah, exactly. 
All right, well, guys, it's been a great cast. Um, we will do this next week. And, yeah, sorry, but um, the Pro Tour will be on a Friday. Uh, the podcast won't go up until that Friday. Um, and then we'll cover it the following week. So uh, a lot of interesting stuff we'll talk about, uh, the upcoming Star City games, and, um, yeah, everything else we usually cover on the cast. So um, that'll about do it for this episode. And this is the crew signing out.